Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. Foreshadow is a spirituality literary magazine rooted in the Christian faith. And Forecast explores the themes on Foreshadow more deeply and in a different format. This season, our theme is called Forth, Vocation and Faith, asking who we are called to become and what we are called to do. I'm Josh, and today I am joined by Jarrell Pagio. If you're a listener to Forecast, you will remember that he was a, a guest a few episodes ago with Will and me, and now we are happy to welcome him as part of the co-host team, and he has a special um, focus on music. And so um, today's conversation will be about um, making music, especially in the con congregational setting. We regret that Will cannot join us as he had um, some previous engagements with his um, academic work. But um, I'm really looking forward to hosting this conversation with Jarrell um, on congregational singing. So today we'll, um, we'll first talk about each of our experiences with congregational singing and making music more generally with congregations especially. And by congregations, I mean Christian congregations, churches, and, and worshiping communities. And then we'll discuss an article called Is Congregational Singing Dead? by Benjamin Crosby. It was published on Pla Magazine earlier this year. And then we'll end with discussing three songs or hymns that congregations sing, especially as they pertain to vocation. So in many ways, this episode is a bridge between this season, which is on vocation, and next season, which is on pilgrimage and worship. But we will, we will want to remember um, to bring in vocation in our conversation today. Um, and especially if you've listened to last time, the previous episode, which was called Called to Call on God. I know we use the word call a lot um, in, in this season, but um, when I was discussing with Will Berry about Rich Mullins, uh, and we were discussing how we are called to worship God and to to bring our lives before God, this this conversation between me and Jarrell, I think, um, dovetails that conversation very well. So, hello, Jarrell. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me, and uh, glad to be part of the team. Yeah. Yes, I'm excited as well. I thought we would first um, discuss our own experiences with making music in congregations. And I know that um, if our listeners want to hear our previous episode with Jarrell, you'll hear about Jarrell's music making in other formats. Um, but especially with regards to congregational uh, singing and making music, I guess I'll begin if that's the right, Jarrell. Um, uh, some of my experiences, um, I'm not sure if you count uh the Point Loma Singers, which is a choir, a uh, university choir as a congregational singing. It's not quite a congregation, but we did often sing for congregations. Um, and that was a choir that Jarrell and I were both a part of as well uh, for, a, for a year um, that we, we both had, were part of the choir together. Um, I've, al uh, I've also sung at, uh, on the choir, at choirs at various churches in, diff in different denominations, um, and I still do that. And that's been nowadays my main way of uh, making music with a congregation, um, singing in the choir, or if on a Sunday I'm not part of the choir, still singing as part of the congregation, making music in that way. 
And uh, I've also been um, I, I've also been part of or led a worship band um, at uh, a church that I was a part of in college. Um, and also, I don't know if you found this, Jarrell, playing the piano, but um, being someone who plays the guitar, uh, I've, I, I kind of I've often been asked to play music in churches um, if they once they learned that I played the guitar. Um, and so so I've had the opportunity to be able to to contribute in that way as well. And that also um, led me to be a musician assistant at the Iona Abbey in Scotland. Um, and that involved teaching mu singing to groups uh, and, and also accompanying the the, the worship services there. Um, we had morning and evening services. So that's just to give our listeners a little bit, not only a little bit of background about us and, I, and Jarell, I know I, you haven't shared your side yet, but, um, but also to give um, an illustration of what we mean by congregational music making, just some, uh, some examples. So over to you, Jarell, what have been your experiences? Yeah, so uh, I think my first experience was maybe around high school, high school, college, I was playing in um, the church I grew up. Uh, it was kind of, it was a non-denominational, but very charismatic. So, I mean, you kind of had some more spontaneous things uh, in the worship uh, uh, set because, you, you know, we, the church was also about speaking in tongues, you know, kind of that quote, like following, you know, the spirit leads, how, how, how the Holy Spirit leads. So it's kind of the, uh, it was an interesting thing to be a part of as rather than have the song from, you know, point A, B, you know, and then you sing three verses and you're done. Sometimes there would be somebody would spontaneously sing something. And so you'd have to uh, kind of improvise in that way. Um, and then going on to into college and become part of the, uh, the chapel bands for um, uh, chapel services. So currently, uh, I get to play in a worship band uh, at a non-denominational church called Flood uh, Flood Church here in San Diego, um, and my role as a keyboardist. Uh, there's so piano, bass, drums, uh, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, uh, and then two vocalists. Uh, so that's what I get to do now, um, and yeah, kind of a mid, I guess. Well, a smallish congregation, maybe about 150. Mm, I'm kind of a bad judge with numbers sometimes, but uh, that's probably about the size of the congregation, at least at present, you know, with, there are some folks who still attend online, but anyway, besides the point. Okay, yes, thank you. That's interesting. Um, that, that And that's also helpful that you described a little bit of a range of um, kind of not styles, but, um, Kind of traditions of worship, I guess. Um, the where you serve now, it's kind of like a band, a band, probably similar to some of the bands that I was a part of. Although the church that I was a part of was even smaller than than that one is, maybe 20, thirty people or so. Um, so there's probably a different feeling with regard to the size, and we probably didn't have the same, um, the same kind of like amplification or things that you would need with a larger congregation. Um, but then you also described the um, more the Pentecostal, um, where people would sing um, um, with like kind of impromptu, and that was a I, I had a similar experience 
uh, at a church. It wasn't a Pentecostal church, but sometimes during the prayer time, people would just, um, instead of praying, it was a communal prayer. So people could pray whenever they felt led to pray. Sometimes people would just um, start singing a song. And, and if the congregation knew the song, they would join. Um, there wouldn't be any instruments, but it would just be a cappella. Um, so that, so that reminds me of that. Okay, great. Um, thank you. I, I, and, uh, something I was wondering was, um, since you, uh, how did, um, COVID affect your, um, flood church, uh, the flood church experience of, um, of making music and singing in worship? Because, um, I know that's, uh, that's one thing that's been affected in one of the churches I have attended here, our local parish church, um, because of COVID, first of all, we could only um, at first meet on Zoom, um, and and the way that church did it was they would play recorded hymns on Zoom, and so if you wanted to sing, you would have to sing just no one else would hear you. You would be on mute, mm -hmm. um, and and then and then when when churches started regathering, um, their singing was not allowed because because of health reasons but a choir started forming where um and they were the of, of a few members where they were the only people who could sing um but now people are allowed to sing again um and so it's kind of come back but i remember during the beginning and during the midst of lockdown even when church services resumed that was something i really missed was being able to sing with other people so um i was wondering how it's affected how it affected you as well yeah, uh, I mean, what kind of, yeah, uh, tailing off my, what I was saying about how there are some folks who still experience church uh, gathering online. Um, we were doing a, a live stream for a good while. Uh, actually, before that, we would pre-record the music and then we would live stream the, the message portion and then edit it so that we had the music that was pre-recorded to go mm, okay. uh, in the middle of the, I guess, what would have been the quote service. So, and then it transitioned to a full live stream. Everybody who was a part of doing the production was um, in the church offices and then recording, uh, not recording, sorry, doing everything live there. Um, so, and then now transition to a full in-person service, um, but still offering a live stream. Um, so I think it's interesting to, uh, I guess, get to lead worship in that way. We're just in this room, no other, you know, nobody of the congregations present. And it almost feels like, I guess, you know, you have the congregation in your mind's eye to mm. the people, you know, of the, you know, mm -hmm. in the church thinking about them as you play. Yes. In a weird way. Um, um, so the energy, I guess, that you feel together is not there. So, but you're all like, it's all relegated to the mental. Yes. Um, mm. Thinking of it. Yeah. So that's, it was an interesting thing. Um, I think that that's a big part of why congregational singing is important or at least being together as a congregation and worship together is um you do well it's yeah i think part of at least the experience of music in worship 
uh, or worship as a musical thing and singing is meant to be uh, felt and experienced in context with other people. So um, hence the importance of congregational singing. Mm, yes. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's kind of an interesting thing that when you remove that part of it, uh, I don't know, it feels, uh, maybe there's a disconnect, I guess, to, uh, lack of a better way to say that. Yes, you don't feel as connected with the, the people that you're in fellowship with or or the people you're not in fellowship with, but who are part of your same, the same community. Um, there is something very um, socially cohesive about making music together. Um, and that's something that um, in, in the article that we will discuss, that article was part of a, a broader issue that Plow Magazine came out with called, Why Do We Make Music? Another article, which uh, we're not going to discuss, but it was the letter from the editor that was introducing that that issue uh, kind of gave some reasons for why we make music. And one of them was the social relationships that are built, as you describe. And I'll just list a few others that are described in that article. So why, why do we make music? Well, another reason is um, it's known to develop the brain, to develop emotions, lungs, especially for, for, for babies, but even for elderly people, people who have Alzheimer's, it's known to, um, uh, regenerate their memories and re kind of spark their memories again. Um, another reason is that it forms the soul. It it has a it has a way of shaping us either positively or negatively. Um, uh, and an another reason is music can point us to God. It can point us to um, beyond ourselves to the Creator of all things. And um, if, but there's something I'd like to add as well especially in the context of worship is I think another reason why we make music, why do we sing rather than just speak our prayers is because I think when we worship, we are offering or seeking to offer our very best to God and that, and so um, we could just, um, you know, read the lyrics of the hymns that we would normally sing, but we can do better than that. We can, we can put music to it. We can, um, kind of kind of alter our tone, our rhythm, and make something beautiful out of that, even more than just the the words themselves. And um, um, and that's what how I understand worship is is offering um, our best to God. And as just as a brief example, um, I was reading a book recently on worship and uh, sacrifice, and it was talking about Cain and Abel, and how um, how they were both. If you remember the story, they were both offering worship to God on the altar. Cain brought um, some of the vegetables and the the plants that he had produced, whereas Abel brought the the choicest offerings of the meat. And um, this book was saying it wasn't the fact that Cain offered vegetables and Abel offered meat that God favored Abel's offering, um, because we learn later in the Bible that God also co commanded the Israelites to offer grains and plants as well and that was acceptable but rather um uh it was their their heart hearts were in different places um abel's heart was in a right place whereas cain's heart was in the wrong place and also it says that abel brought the, the choicest offerings he brought the very best of his animals and doesn't say that about cain's and so um to me that suggests that when we worship god we are called to bring our best to god and so i think that's another reason why we bring and make music in worship is um 
it's a sign of our relationship with God and our our effort to bring our, our best before God. Not that God um, needs to hear a, a beautiful sounding concert to be a kind of to accept us, um, but more as a sign of our love for God and our relationship. We we do our very best, just as we would do for our um, our spouses, for the people that we love. We 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 would give them the best. We at least if we want to to show our love, then that would be what we aim to do. But um, all that to say, that's building on what you had said, that um, one of the benefits of music, in addition to the ones I mentioned, is, is that it, it con connects us to other people. And you've, you have found that in your experience um, w in making music at church and, 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 and also through the lack of other people being there, the fellowship just isn't there. Um, and, and maybe speak, uh, adding on to that too, in addition to bringing our music to God, I think it, music does a lot for us. And so it's a way of um, uh, strengthening the body of Christ. Uh, like um, I know I am, I am blessed and benefited by the music that I hear and I, I participate in in church. Um, and so I imagine that for you and Flood Church people as well had a similar reaction when, when they were not able to join live be there in in the body they they felt some something was missing um not only mm. spiritually but also socially yeah um you know along those lines of what the congregation is experiencing as you know being the folks that get to lead up at front you know it's not um i mean yes a different way of involving the congregation it's like you still have that I guess for what our context now is like what would be kind of the equivalent of a concert-like experience, but um, it's interesting to get feedback from some of the the folks in the congregation for how that whole experience is playing out for them. And so one of the um, members of the congregation uh, the past week had just um, shared with me how, you know, what they were experiencing in worship, just a, um, you know, them getting emotional in, in during the worship um, and how the Lord is using, you know, what, what we're doing on, on the stage to, I guess, yeah, to, or what I guess I would perceive it as like kind of pulling us together in a way. Um, although that was in some ways like a uniquely individual experience for him. Maybe not everybody was, you know, feeling the same emotion, right? But he was, uh, for whatever reason, something he connected with with the worship set. Um, and so just, I guess, all that to say, like those sorts of things, uh, I think maybe are enabled to happen, maybe in the context of being together. Um, not to say that you can't experience that, through the, the screen, through, you know, through a recorded video. But um, maybe there's something to, I don't know, just speaking to that idea that maybe, yes, in being together, there's something that uh, allows that uh, that aspect of it to, I don't know, mm. to, mm -hmm. to play. I, um, yeah. Um, you know, there's maybe a whole science on that too. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Well, um, let's now um, dive into the article itself. This um, 
as I said earlier, it's called Is Congregational Singing Dead? And then the subtitle is It's Time to Make Church Music Weird Again. And um, so I just um, briefly outlined how I understand the, the main points of the essay. So I'll just say that now before we discuss it. Um, how I understand it is um, Benjamin Crosby, who is an Episcopalian priest in Canada, I believe. Um, yes, uh, serving the Anglican Church of Canada. Uh, he, he's, he identifies a problem that people are singing less in church and maybe more broadly than that. Yeah, making music less in church, but singing, he says. And he says that this reflects a wider loss of music making in our culture that are beyond the church, just Western culture, people are not making music so much like they used to. And he kind of goes back in time to the Protestant Reformation, especially he identifies that as the um, kind of the impetus for music making, at least in the West, um, the Western church and, and the West more broadly. Um, and he says that nowadays music is still a big part of our culture people listen to music but it's more of a passive thing um we you know we listen to it in the background or in the car through headphones but we don't actually participate uh we don't listen to live music it tends to be recorded music as we, as we were just describing um and it's also uh we, we we don't make music as much um as before it's not part of our culture so and so therefore he says um churches should cultivate music making and um and churches are one of the last places in the west where there is still uh music making that happens whether that's um through a band a worship band in your context or whether that's through a cho choirs in my context churches are one of the last places there's a few others um you know sports uh, you know uh, stadiums people sing or um especially and yeah music concerts still but but church is one of the main last places. And so he argues that um, the church should actually, even though that might seem weird to people, uh, that actually might attract people who are who feel this uh, th that they're missing uh, creating music. Um, and so churches should kind of embrace that. And he gives some recommendations for how churches can also cultivate music making more in their culture. So that's basically how, how the general outline of the essay. Um, were there any uh, any things that you found interesting or that stuck uh, jumped out at you when you were reading this article? Yeah, um, I think uh, it's interesting to know that you know this tradition that kind of born out of like five hundred years ago started from a place of uh, integrating what the culture is already doing. So that's like you know the culture was already singing. Uh, European culture at the time is just it's it part of their daily life so you know kind of started from this place of like acapella it's just voices mm. um, and in a way I kind of see that as like it emphasizes the communal aspect as we've kind of been talking about um, of worship you know singing together just the voices just worshiping God that way um, and it's interesting to you know fast forward to now and throughout that time, you know, integration of instruments is there too, but still just to today, you know, with the instruments that kind of contribute a harmony and a sound, almost like a backdrop, if you will, to the voices, um, that it almost emphasizes 
uh, I guess this is interesting to say, but like it emphasizes the content of the lyrics. So not necessarily that people weren't paying attention to lyrics before, because it was certainly the only thing there, right, alongside the voices. But sometimes you have certain harmonies that I feel like, and again, there's a whole science behind this too. We don't need to get into, but emotionality connected with certain harmonies, you know, hmm. you know, maybe the minor chord, for instance, in some way placed just right to emphasize a certain phrase or um, a certain word or concept in the music that you happen to be singing lyrically. Uh, so um, this is kind of a side, I think about, it isn't a worship tune, but the, um, Oh gosh, who wrote Hallelujah? Handel. Oh, oh, sorry. Um... Oh, sorry, not the Hallelujah chorus. <laughs> um, that one. Yes, song, Le uh, yes, Leonard Cohen. Is it Leonard Cohen? Yes. Um, you know, there's that line in there: the minor fall and the major. Lift. Yes. It's just kind of like that. I mean, I think about that little line because it does kind of speak to the emotionality and the, like the emotional quality that you do have when you hear certain harmonies. Mm. However, that interacts with our brain and whatever. But mm. still, I think that plays into a part of how we experience worship now. Um, and almost, um, I guess, in that way, because I know the article is that kind of advocating for this return to congregational singing as it is, as it I guess as it maybe was 500 years ago, this some, or just the basic idea of singing together um, mm -hmm. as opposed to a concert-like experience. But um, I almost think that there is still some value to um, having uh, the worship experience be this way. Okay. Not that... Hmm. I guess it's kind of a hard thing because I don't like it to be about, you know, the musicians on stage and again in this concert like experience, almost like a a glorification of those who are on stage. You know what I mean? And I don't like that part of it. But mm -hmm. um simply on the basis of like the use of instruments to um I think like what you were saying earlier, like we should use everything to give our best to God in some ways, right? And um, so that could include everything that we have available to us to bring to the worship experience, you know, and the instruments we have. Um, anyway, uh, to the point. I hear you. That's, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and, and what you mentioned earlier about harmonies, um, are you are you saying just to clarify that um, because of the instrumentations, you're able to have more of an emphasis on the, the the harmony, the musical harmony, and that can kind of generate a certain emotional response in people that um, that you couldn't have without harmony. For example, is that what you're saying? To make sure I understand, I guess. Hmm. I don't, oh, yeah, no, it's so interesting because I don't want to get too far into the idea that, like, there's a, hmm, because I know that's maybe a criticism, too, is there's a, a an emotional kind of manipulation that happens with the combination of certain chords and harmonies 
in conjunction with the lyrics of you know and, the, and what we're actually singing content wise but um i think if anything i see it as a way to support yes the content yes uh not as a to personality for emotionality's sake right um but as a way to um almost yeah bolster what we're singing about if that makes sense yeah no that makes sense um uh, so as long so so it's not to say that the the um instruments are the the primary focus but rather it's the the worship it's the um which which is expressed in the the lyrics and which is supported by the music i, I think you're saying the music should support the the message or the kind of the impetus that and and that behind the word behind the singing um, as kind of a an accompaniment rather than the main the main show it's it's an yes. accompaniment yeah i think so um and it's yeah almost serving as a vehicle mm. uh, for okay. the lyrical content um yeah it was interesting that um in this essay he describes how um how you know first of all in the protestant reformation the um the the, the wider culture uh, it was very common for people to be singing they would be singing um uh, he says let's see if i can find it um uh singing was woven into the fabric of early modern european culture at work at home in the field while traveling while gathered at the marketplace or in inns or taverns really anywhere and everywhere the genius of the pro Protestant pioneers of congregational singing was to take this musical practice and to make it a part of public worship and religious identity. Um, and then, so what he's saying there is that it was a part of this broader culture and the Protestant hymn, hymn writers took that and um, included it into the church. And, and that's how it became part of the church's culture. And then he, he says there's a parallel today where Nowadays, one of the main ways that people make music together is through rock concerts, uh, not uh, like secular, you know, rock concerts. Um, that's one of the main uh, draws that people have to 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 listen to music together. And so, um, a lot of churches, such as yours at Flood, may be doing a similar thing that the Protestant reformers were doing back then, in that they are drawing upon this cultural um, um, practice. And bringing it into church, um, and and kind of um, highlighting the, the the good that comes out of that co um, communal music making and bringing that to the church. I just thought that was a very interesting parallel that I'd never thought of. You know, I hadn't made that connection with the Protestant reformers before. Um, and so you've mentioned some negatives with it, but here's mentioning a positive of it is that it's um, perhaps it's speaking the language of the people. Uh, of the day where um, people who, you know, who would maybe not think about spiritual, th uh, not think about church or Christianity so much, but if they like the music um, and they, they, and they connect with music, that might be something that draws them to church. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that's, it should end there, but um, perhaps a lot of people wouldn't be going to church if, if, if it wasn't for the musical uh common language that's there um so I, I thought that so that's quite interesting but yes i also do think you're right um this article seems to emphasize the singing um and and congregational singing 
not not um yes uh kind of which can which does and can happen at uh rock concerts people often you you do hear people singing uh and and i know that i was just uh i i was th just thinking about some bands where they've really tried to um emphasize participation such as like queen's song we will rock you with the stomp stomp clap and to get the people to sing and then i know you too as well a band that i i you know i've really enjoyed their music they i've um, i haven't been to a uk2 concert but i've read and heard that they often try to encourage people to be singing um and so so there so there is something powerful about singing as well um that um that uh that i think churches would do well and this article is saying churches would do well to encourage people to be singing and making music more generally um and so he goes on um he, he says um but for those oh, okay this might be more to the point there's nothing wrong with this choice to be seeker friendly speaking about churches that are um, such as yours, to present the good news in the context of a familiar cultural experience to make newcomers comfortable. Um, but then now he's talking about the singing aspect. But for those churches that choose to continue to practice the unfamiliar cultural experience of congregational singing, this practice may serve as its own attraction to seekers longing for something more than the wider culture offers. Might this something be joining voice with others in song? Um, and then he gives some examples of how some churches might go about doing this. Um, and, and I don't want to, uh, yeah, I, this is not to say that uh, your church is doing this the wrong way and this article is doing it the right way. Um, I don't want sure, that. Sure, yes. I don't want that to, us to have that, to think that that's what, um, what we're saying in this conversation, because I want to value your your perspective and the and the gifts that you are bringing that your perspective is bringing um but maybe we can maybe talk about just common ground which is um singing but more broadly making music and and bringing whatever we have to god in worship um uh the the he ends that by saying that the um Giving up these traditional music practices wholesale would be a great loss, especially since church is one of the few places where people still make music together in this way. The church will always be weird in a secular culture in far more ways than our music. In music, as in so many other parts of the church's life, this is a weirdness worth embracing. So, I mean, even to, in, to some degree, um, churches such as Flood is weird in the sense that it's... Um, it's even making music in in uh, with instruments. Nowadays, people don't uh, don't tend to do that. And I wonder if COVID. I I've, I was speaking to someone recently too who used to go to concerts, classical concerts, mind you, not rock concerts, but classical concerts. He used to go regularly, but ever since COVID happened, he stopped going. And I wonder if um, because of COVID, there hasn't even been as many rock concerts or classical music concerts people haven't been you know going to these things so much you know with with spotify and youtube it's a lot easier to just to just listen to music uh and download it um you know on your on your computer or listening on on the drive which i don't think think is a bad thing but um but uh, maybe maybe our culture today is is decline is less and less um 
listening to live music. And so that's one of the ways that Flood is being weird in the, in the sense of how this author describes it, is Flood is still making music uh, together. Um, I, so I don't know if you have any any other thoughts on, on, on this article or... Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, yeah, like that idea of continuing to make music in any capacity in church, I think is, it is an interesting thing because, uh, I mean, because it's been so much a part of church, the way we do church or church life, like it's, uh, I don't think it'll ever go away, but it's always coming in, uh, I guess it's, well, changing with the culture, I guess. Um, which is interesting because I know as we're talking about, you know, what we have available to us with Spotify or YouTube and streaming services um, and the article is talking about how it's it's taken our experience with music in general as a consum uh, consumptive mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and rather than a participatory one, mm -hmm. um, which at the same time, we do have a lot of like you know, there's still a lot of music making in the sense that well, people doing it on their laptops now or having the, you know, the ease of recording with, you know, garage band or something like that, you mm -hmm. know, and um, which is still very much an individualistic pursuit. Uh, and it's, I think that's an interesting thing too, that maybe we've kind of lost in having uh, music as a kind of a, you know, concert-like experience is that it it's almost our it, our worship seems to have become a lot more individual um which is maybe an interesting product of uh which we're talking about you know, how like churches um in the west like this is uh where music is like or uh, one of the last places where music is done together in this way um interesting that if it's kind of born out of a culture of individualism and i guess i say the west and like america in general uniquely a very uh individually minded i guess um and so again if it, everything is kind of a product of the culture and how relevant um church music uh is attempting to be or pull from the culture it's just kind of interesting to see how it's yeah affected it to become individual if that makes sense um mm, yes interesting uh, yes um i think what we so were then saying there would be oh sorry oh go ahead go ahead yes no so then there would be right it, it, um it's like we uh perhaps the church could do well to in a way be countercultural. Not that it's never has been, but to 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 go maybe more in that direction and uh, do worship in a way that is more collective. Bring yes. back, you know, making congregational singing great again. But sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, um, couldn't play on that plan more. So, but anyway. Um, Yes, but you, you were going to say. Well, it's an interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, well, no. Uh, basically, what I what I hear us saying is that um, there's this tension of um, wanting to speak in the language of people, 
um, while also while also maintaining faithfulness um, and also wanting to challenge people to um, something uh, that's better for them, um, such as making music um, in person and such as gathering together rather than just being on one's own. And, um, and different church traditions um, will do that differently. So, um, so how you're describing it, maybe the, the challenge is is one is 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 a unique to your your challenges will be one way different than for instance uh, a more um like a more liturgical tradition where uh, for instance in the anglican church maybe or there's uh, the the debate is between the traditional hymns versus the more modern songs um or in um yeah, just to give an example um but but there's this kind of this need to um to challenge people to uh and in this case that challenge would be to challenge them to make music and to and even to sing um knowing that uh, even if they're not comfortable with that um that's just something that that humans um need uh, and and maybe that goes to our our theme of vocation as well that um that that maybe the church is called to call people to um to a better way um and that's that's not only um in terms of um singing and making music uh, but in in other ways as well um but sometimes that will cause f uh, friction p um just people who are not used to singing or people who are not used to gathering in person that they may not feel comfortable doing that but um, and so there has to be sensitivity and, and that has to be done pastorally. But um, but at the same time, um, as the and and this is difficult to say because there are so many traditions in the church. But um, but if we can we can say clearly that um, one of the things that the church does is it's it's a gathered people it, it, and and that that uh, communal element very much goes against the um, very individualistic culture that um, we find ourselves in, whether in America or in the West generally. And, and so, um, and I think this article does a good job of, of saying that um, the church shouldn't apologize for being weird, whether that's weird because they are singing or making music or being a community, but rather maybe that's the, the very thing the church needs to do is to embrace their, its weirdness because uh Perhaps people will people um, recognize their need for that weirdness. Uh, maybe not right away, but um, but we're kind of assuming that um, that people need that weirdness in their lives. Uh, so so yeah. Well, maybe then we'll now um, go to our, the final part of this conversation, which is um, talking about some of the songs that we do sing. Um, and some of the, in in worship uh in congregations and so um the first song i wanted to discuss um was and we can still tie in um parts of our previous section of this conversation into this one the first song is um be thou my vision which is um um it was it's a kind of a traditional christian hymn very old 
the words are very old, come from the um, Celtic Christian tradition. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most of our listeners will be familiar with it. Um, but uh, I was just thinking we could talk about the, the music and the words. And so um, is this one that you ever, have ever um, played or in, at Flood or in other um, contexts, Jarrell? Uh, yes, actually, I mean, interesting that we do, yeah, we do do this one, um, uh, and have done it before, um, it, but interesting to listen to it again for the purposes of our conversation, um, I guess in light of looking at it, uh, from the lens of vocation. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, but yes, we have, we had done this one. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I, I had some points. Maybe I'll mention some and then then you, then you can go. Um, I guess one of the things on vocation for me that I saw from this was um, that we are called to make God our vision, our focus, and um, that God would be everything that we need. And so um, even though it's called Be Thou My Vision, the, the song talks about other things that that the singer wants God to be. So be thou my vision, be my best thought by day or by night, um, be my wisdom, be my true word, be my father, um, be my battle shield, my sword for the fight, my dignity, my delight, um, my soul's shelter, my tower, um, my inheritance. Um, so, but but then focusing on God being our vision, the heart of my own heart. So I think it kind of, it, it's, it's, a, it's calling on God to be everything. And that reminds me of another song. I'm not sure if you, you play this as well, but I, I learned this song at Point Loma uh, um, Nazarene University at our chapel services called um, God in My Living. Um, oh, yes. And so it's, it's also about um, God being our everything. Um, God, am I living? God, am I breathing? There am I waking? There am I sleeping? Um, and and then it says, Christ in me, Christ in me, you are everything. Um, I, I wonder if that was inspired by Be Thou My Vision. But um, mm, yes. But yeah, it's just. With another. Uh, what's that? Oh, no. Do you know who wrote that one? It might have been Tim Hughes. Okay. Uh, I need it. Yeah. Um, if, if if that's wrong, I will add that in the in the show notes. <laughs> uh, yes. No, along those lines, though, when you were saying waking, you know, the line waking or sleeping uh, stands out to me as like a almost a way to right. But that that concept came to me as well as about you know this is uh, as God being our central focus. Um, I think about uh, you know whether you eat or you drink, you know, or doing all for the glory of God is how, um, what, yes, where this hymn is, uh, is drawing its inspiration. Um, yeah, it, the idea of a call to live a life of worship to God, you know, mm. kind of the, almost the two going hand in hand. It's like the idea of what is worship then, uh, is maybe not just maybe removing it from 
you know, context of our conversation that it's just a musical thing that we do, but a life of worship. Um, yes, kind of a, a seamless flow between those two realms of like what worship is as a musical thing or as a life uh, long pursuit of just being. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was on an earlier episode too with Will. I think that concept, am I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, that yes. is definitely, that's one of the threads throughout this season, I think, has been um, understanding worship not only as something that we do with a church on Sunday morning, but also throughout woven throughout our lives, throughout our days. Um, and I think in this article as well, it, it's, um, it talks about how people would often sing when they were at work, not, not just Christians, but just in general in European culture, people would often sing um, when they were about their business. Um, I think that's a, a nice illustration um, for ha- not just singing because we're trying to, it's not just about music, but um, maybe mu- singing is a helpful illustration because it's something that we can do while we're doing something else. But even if we're not singing, but just going about our, our daily lives that um, kind of, even if we're in our thoughts, bringing that before God, yes, definitely as a, as a form of worship. Um, and I know that also in the Celtic Christian tradition, there, there was a, a rich tradition of, um, there were lots of prayers that would, people would just pray for various things that they would be doing in their day, what, like what, putting their child to, child to sleep or um, plowing the fields or um, kind of after eating a meal, just all of the, the what we would call mundane moments of the day, there would be a prayer for various things. And I think that's another illustration of making all of those things, weaving them as, a, as an act of worship to God too. Yeah. Yes. This is maybe jumping ahead too soon because there was another thought I had on the other him what wondrous love but um it's almost like what our lives are are just so wondrous love yeah why don't we go to that now yeah uh like the call to sing is born out of god's goodness right uh god's love for us through jesus and then our lives is you know um how do you say are just simply what we do from day to day, including our singing, right, is just a product of, or not a product of, a result of that love, of God's love, um, a, bypro- yeah, a byproduct of it. It's just mm. um, out of God's love comes all those things. So then you can really think of it as that, that oh, um, there is no, uh, transitioning between the two of the concept of worship and living. Uh, I guess if that makes sense, just if everything is coming out of how we experience God's goodness, um, that is the manifestation of it, I guess, Mm. that that, that makes sense. Um, So uh, right in, you know, uh, for European life, people just singing all the time you can even think of that uh, and whether you believe it to be a product of God's goodness, that it just kind of is inherently, whether or not, let's say you are a Christian or not, right? Or you believe in Christ or not. Inherently, if we just believe that the creator is where all those things come from, 
that it is just kind of a, I guess it's the same, if that makes sense. I, Sorry, say I that last word again. Uh, uh, what word? Uh, or the last kind of phrase. One, one, oh, one and the same. One of the same. Um, Thank you. Was that it? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's away from the topic, but um, no, no, no. I mean, I think if there's a verse, I'm probably not quoting it properly, but every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights. Um, and, and so, yeah, this, so even if someone doesn't believe in God, um, they can, they still receive the gifts that God gives. And, and Jesus says like, he causes his rain to shine and the sun, uh, the rain to fall and the sun to shine on all people. And so everyone is, receives these blessings from God. Um, and, um, but, but this song is, is one response to, to that blessing. Um, and, and maybe people who don't have the language don't, don't believe in God yet, or they might express it in a different way. Um, but um and and we could still see that perhaps in their own way as a as a form of worship um but i i like what you said about and just so our listeners know this is this song is what wondrous love is this which is an appalachian hymn um and it to me i what i really like about it is it really goes through the gospel um the first stanza is what wondrous love is this that caused the lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul and then the second stanza is, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. So it, it first begins with um, uh, an experience of God's love and then an experience of sinking down, but then God rescuing the singer. And then the next verse, to God and to the lamb, I will sing to God and who, to the lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing. And so now it's kind of um, joining with others, as we were saying, the, the, not just the physical presence, but even the, I, I imagine the millions joining the theme being the saints and the angels um, that have gone before us, joining in, in this worship. Um, and then and when and, and then the last verse, when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on. And, and then it moves from... Uh, from this life to the next life. And so, um, but all of that comes from the wondrous love that the singer has experienced, this gift of love that God has is pouring out on all of us. And so um, I, I, I get that sense as well, um, that it's, it's coming out of this gift of God, this love that God has. Um, well, and there was a song that you wanted to um, talk about as well. Um, so maybe for the last... The last portion of this conversation. Could you um, perhaps read the lyrics and and just tell tell the, tell us why you chose this song and and what it says to you about vocation? Oh yes. So uh, this is a song came across uh, at Point Loma, uh, Nazarene, and uh, the worship director there, George Williamson, um, had written this. Um, and so I'll read the lyrics here. Uh, I want to live a life, Lord, that's worthy of my call. And I believe you can change me, and I believe you can use this life. I believe you can make me an instrument for a noble purpose. Take my life, I give it all to you, my King. Be glorified in me, 
in each joy, each suffering. Here I am, Lord, here I am. This is my everything. My life will be a song of praise, and may that song be heard for all my days. Use me, Lord, use me. So um, this tune, I guess, uh, it just came to mind because we're talking about vocation uh, and what it means to uh, the call worship, called to be, um, I guess, the desire to live out your calling, whatever that might be, and um, uh, do that to the best that you can for the glory of God. And so the line that st uh, stands out to me um, is, you know, my life will be a song of praise. It's kind mm, of a... yeah. Uh, just embodying metaphor of this very idea of a vocation of worship. Mm -hmm. And so for them, we're terming worship as like a, you know, a, just a lifelong thing that you just, it just kind of, right, comes out of God's goodness. Um, everything you do is worshipful or can be. Um, and so your life being a song, you know, not to get too esoteric, but yes, <laughs> that is the idea. Um, and so, um, I think it's maybe, I don't know, I guess I think about this idea too, when we get caught up in what our vocation should be, that maybe this is a liberating thing, mm -hmm. but we just think that if we are allowing our lives to be simply a product of God's love and the goodness of God, um, not that it's going to be, you know, uh, what is it? Um, coming up roses all the time but it's just yeah but the, the idea is that it's uh we're able to see i think to see for everything we can do or everything we do everything we are part of can be that um yeah i um yeah to to that point i, I oh sorry go ahead oh sorry sorry josh i, I don't know the zoom gives that there's a lag sometimes yes. it's like but, uh, and I don't, and I can't speak to George exactly like what, um, where he, he was coming from in writing this tune, but I want to say maybe it comes from a place of, you know, a desire to live out one's vocation authentically, um, you know, perhaps maybe beyond uh, simply doing this thing we call, you know, Christianity, the quote, right way, um, that it's, uh, that I think trying to figure out how to do it the quote right way doesn't be is no longer part of the equation if we just uh kind of come from a place of right singing out of god's goodness like what what wondrous love allows us to just to mm. live freely mm. yes and and also there's this posture i think of um offering to god like take my life i give it all to you and that includes um, the kind of the rules and the things we think we ought to be doing. Um, it's it's kind of surrendering that to God um, and asking God to to be glorified in us, um, in each joy, each suffering, um, both the good and the bad. Um, it's kind of this openness to God, um, even setting aside our preconceived notions of what it means to even what it means to be called to do something. It's um, kind of opening that to God. Um, and and being open to what God, how God would use us, because 
um, uh, it's kind of um, he, like Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Um, it's kind of, um, kind of there's just letting go of what we think, what we think our life ought to be like and allowing God to live through us and guide us. And I, and, and I agree with you. I, that's a very, I think that's a very liberating um, a posture. Um, I think um, like in, in university where, I, where we, we both learned this song, um, it's very much, uh, at least for me, I was very much like kind of driven to find my calling. And, and by that, I meant, what would I do as a job? Um, what would, like, what would my work be? Um, and like, what kind of like, what's my identity? What's my gifts? How do those things all align? Um, where do my deepest needs meet the world's, or no, where, where do my deepest joy meet the world's deepest needs? All of those things, mm -hmm. which are good questions to ask. But um, this goes beyond that. Um, it kind of encourages us to trust God and um, a life that's worthy of my call. Our call is um, is not what we do for a job at, at the base of it. Our call, uh, as we're exploring this season, is um, is to um, to be fully alive in Christ. To be um, to to love God, to love others, to to be recipients of this wondrous love, and to offer it to others. And and I think this song um, uh, helps us to get to that place. And now here are some final thoughts that Jarrell and I had. In reflecting on our conversation, I mean, it is the reality too. Like, yeah, uh, the American culture tends to be that, right? When we think about Eastern culture, they're very collective, right? As a whole, I know that's just a very broad blanket statement, but like, Eastern culture tends to think communally, you know? Yeah. And it, if that's the case, then it's almost no wonder why here in the West we've lost that concept of congregational singing. It's just kind of like, you know, the West has adapted this concept of uh, worship um, yeah, and kind of taken it into, right, where, where the culture has, you know, kind of pulled it in a way, um, it, which is interesting, too, to think that, like, well, with the church um, as trying to be, like, be on the, how do you say, a beacon, I guess, mm -hmm. if you will, right? It's a society that it's it's interesting to see how sometimes maybe, or at least in this instance, that the culture has kind of pulled it in a different direction, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so um, maybe in light of, you know, changing uh, like societal norms and, and that context there that... Um, a 100% return to congregational singing as it was um, maybe maybe it needs to look different the idea of like singing together can be but I don't know it, maybe there's like a revamp somehow you know like a congregational mm -hmm. singing 2.0 or like whatever the the, the idea would mm -hmm. be so that mm -hmm. it's cultural culturally relevant I guess yes um, I think sometimes being relevant 
is maybe in some ways can be stagnation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. or just trying to play to the culture as it stands and saying like oh this is what people want or at least we mm -hmm. perceive that they want this um that it it maybe does nothing necessarily to move things forward um anyway the, a bit of an aside there but um yeah i guess this gets to um um the question is are we called to be more communal so is it is it just a, a relative thing where should we just be satisfied with what the culture and follow along with what the culture is saying or is there this deeper calling that that might actually be there that maybe god calls us to that god made us to be more communal for instance um and mm -hmm. and if so then I think that will help, at least for me, that helps to know, okay, well, despite the friction, we have to go in this direction. But I think that question, without that question being resolved, it's not, sh um, there isn't the same motivation to try to go in that direction. If if you can just mm. um, adapt to whatever the culture is doing, then it doesn't really matter. We could just have, you know, everyone in their in their own homes, singing on their own, um, watching a um, uh, record a video at different times and we, we won't mind that. But I think most Christians would say that um, even if the culture goes in that direction, that's not really what we're called to. And that's also not what's best for us as well. Um, yeah. And and there's probably, I mean, I mean even lo like loneliness, that's something that people talk about and people are becoming more lonely these days. That's one of the biggest um, causes, you know, uh, causes of depression in our culture and, and and there are scientific reports that have studied this and that kind of suggests that no um there is something important about gathering with people and and um that we're that we're missing out on and i think the church has that responsibility um to call people to that um, um even if it's against what the culture is is um saying um yeah so Yes, right. Keeping it, keeping it weird. Keeping, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Keeping it weird. Yes. Well, um, so it's just to tie everything back together. Um, um, in these, in the final moments of this conversation, um, I just wanted to to kind of have the, this read this this verse from the Bible, um, before we finish. Um, so it's from Hebrews, uh, chapter thirteen. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Why I mention that is um, that maybe bringing this back to calling, um, one of our callings is to uh, to praise God, and whether that's through song, whether that's through our life, which can become a song. Um, and and I, what I'm getting from this conversation, too, is to do that together with others. And, and perhaps I should also read another verse from Hebrews that is in the same area. Um, let, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, so just tying back what we've been saying too is um, it's, 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 we weren't really planning to talk about this, but um we are one of the things we're called to do is to meet together as Christians and um and from that to offer our praise to God. And so um 
So how can we encourage um, each other to do that? Um, how can we encourage each other to be weird in that way? sure to share it with someone you think would appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch by emailing us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com or connecting on various social media platforms. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other work posted every week. Stay tuned. Next time, Will and Josh will review the past season. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today.